Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, educating, empowering, and connecting Christians to stand on God's Word and Truth. The man who won't stand up for his own principles is not really a man at all. Get involved by emailing comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. You can't handle the truth! Now, here's the host of Stand Up For The Truth, Mike LeMay. Unashamed of the gospel and standing on the truth and grace of God in the Bible. Hello, friends. Mike LeMay, David Fiorazzo, and Crash Connell, and we welcome you to another edition of Stand Up for the Truth. And after we open in prayer, we're going to take uh, the entire hour to really take a look at the condition of the church in America, not just today, but where it might be headed over the next several years. Father, thank you so much for giving us another day, Lord. And we try the best we can to not to take time for granted, the time we have on this temporary earth to do the work that you call us to do and to be salt and light and bloom where we're planted. And Father, we need wisdom to do this. We need wisdom to know uh, what to say, when to say it, and where to go. And we rely on your Holy Spirit in us. And we thank you, God, that your Spirit is with us as promised and that he dwells in us as believers in Christ So we have everything we need, Lord, and uh, we just ask that we would be obedient. We ask that when you give us subtle direction by your Holy Spirit, that we would be sensitive to that and not too busy, not too distracted, not having our own agenda. But, Father, we ask that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in our individual lives, and in the church, your people here In this country, in America, we need repentance, we need revival, we need your touch. Uh, We pray in Jesus' name that you would do a miracle. It doesn't look like it's going to happen, but we're not moved by what we see in the natural. We're only moved by what we believe, and we believe the truth and the Word of God. We believe that you can move mountains, and uh, the heart of man is nothing for you, Lord. So we pray, God, that you would move on your people, your people here in America, that we would repent, that we would come back to you, that we would uh, stop talking about all the ways we are holy or blessed or whatever, and uh, that we would truly seek to serve you and really do your will. And this will take discipline. This will take a change of heart and of mind, and we we know that you can do it, Lord. So we uh, lift up our church to you, our individual churches and the church as a whole in America. And we pray for you to move on God's people first, and we know that if that happens, Lord, we know that we can reach so many more people and be that much more effective with your word and the gospel and the truth that will prevail, hopefully, in this nation, that it's so blessed by you. And we love you, and we thank you for this time to talk about things that are important. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, David. Well, as I said, we're going to look at a, the state of Christianity in America and discuss the real possibility that it might soon be banned. Yes, banned in our nation. A little later, we're going to look at what has been called the Equality Act and its potential effects on Christianity. And we're going to also look at how the church itself has set the table to welcome discrimination against biblical Christianity because it desires to be loved by a world that hates Jesus and his word. And we wonder why we're in trouble. Now, a couple of questions I want you to think about as we're going through this today. 
Should Christians fight this coming persecution, and if so, how? What happens if we lose the battle? And is Christian persecution God's way of separating the wheat from the chaff? What inspired us to talk about this today was an article uh, a couple weeks ago. You may remember Pastor, Pastor Andrew Brunson. He was imprisoned in Turkey, and the Trump administration put pressure on uh, President Erdogan of Turkey to release him. And Pastor Brunson was released. He's back here in the United States. And he wrote a commentary, and it's titled, uh, A U.S. Pastor Who Has Been Imprisoned in Turkey Is Astounded by Growing Hostility Toward Christianity in America. A U.S. missionary to Turkey who had been imprisoned in the country for two years after being falsely accused of Christianization to overthrow the government there says he sees American culture becoming increasingly hostile toward Christianity and believes there is a movement to silence and shame Christians who don't keep their faith within the four walls of the church. He said, quote, I think it's coming to the U.S. There will be persecution and he said, after being held in prison for two years uh, in isolation and then returning to the United States, Brunson said that in some aspects, it was like returning to a different country. He goes on to say, I am really astounded at the speed with which I think the U.S. is imploding. There are any number of issues where it seems that it's no longer enough for a person of faith to get along with or to serve or to treat well someone they disagree with. I think within the public, the political business, media, celebrity class, and academia, it seems that there's much more of a demand that people of faith approve of, that they validate, that they celebrate things they actually disagree with. And Brunson sees the matter mostly playing out in society with activist groups. He says this, activists are demanding that businesses and schools punish those who don't agree with them. I think it's especially Christians who are in the crosshairs with these things. They are the target. And as long as you stay in the church and remain quiet, then they'll leave you alone. He said, although I think even that is beginning to change. Mm. Expressing one's faith outside of the church, especially views that are based on the Bible, is becoming more verboten, he noted. He said, so... It seems there's an effort to marginalize and silence and shame Christians, he said. Uh, Brunson outlined that uh, you don't see pushback in regard to other religions, citing, for example, that Muslim bakeries aren't being asked to create something that violates their beliefs, which we brought up like five years ago or probably even more. He said you don't get an LGBTQ activist going to a Muslim bakery in Dearborn, Michigan, demanding that this Muslim create a cake celebrating a wedding that he disagrees with according to his belief in the Quran. He explained, I don't think that Muslims should be pressured. I want them to have freedom of religion here. But the Christian is being pressured. So I think there is some hostility, especially toward Christians. Brunson went on to say he's concerned about the, quote, growing hostility to the Judeo-Christian values that have shaped our culture. He says it used to be more on the elitist fringe, but now it's become much more mainstream. We need to prepare for that and have the mentality of, are we going to stand for truth? Are we going to stand without shame or without apology for me as a Christian for my beliefs? I think it's going to become increasingly difficult to do so. Now, when asked if he believes pastors need to take a stand for religious liberty in the here and now, Brunson answered in the affirmative, saying if they do, if they do stand, 
there will be consequences and there will be opposition. But if they don't stand, there will be much more serious consequences. And Brunson also noted during his interview that if one looks at the history of the church, religious liberty is indeed rare. It has often been persecuted, and what Americans currently have is so exceptional, it's very unusual. And we finish by quoting 2 Timothy 3.12, Yes, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So some very insightful comments from Pastor Andrew Brunson. David and Crash, he's lived on the other side of that fence. He's lived in a nation, uh, Muslim Turkey, where he was thrown in jail. And I thought it was really interesting. He was thrown in jail for trying to overthrow the government. So Christianity was trying to overthrow the government. And it's interesting because I think that's the same thing you're going to see here happen in America. The United States and its government is changing. It looks very little like it did in 1776. Um, It is no longer based on individual freedom. It is now based on collective rights, not individual rights. And our, our founding fathers were very, very ominous about that. That's the reason they did not establish a democracy. They didn't want mob rules or majority rules. Instead, they built the Constitution and the nation on the principle of law, and that law protects individual rights. So I don't think it is a stretch at all that in the next three to five years, and much of it hinges on the 2020 election, that we will more and more see Christianity framed as unpatriotic and as a threat to the United States of America. Yeah, I think that's a catalyst to uh, the election in 2020. Another possible catalyst could be whatever happens with the Supreme Court, and meaning if some 150-year-old woman will resign— I'm sorry, maybe I was a little off on her age, but (laughs) Ginsburg, if she will resign um, before the election next year, that will be another major catalyst. You think the Kavanaugh hearing was uh, caustic and violent and and just a a circus, three-ring circus? If there's another Supreme Court opening before the 2020 election, oh my goodness, that's going to be a catalyst. But yeah, a lot of things, that, as we read through this, I'm going, yep, 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 because we've talked about this for so many years, Mike, and I mean years. So this kind of article, we're, we're backing up and we're doing this for the many believers in Christ who have not been paying attention, who maybe might not be informed, who maybe might be hearing this and going, wow, that's a good point. I don't hear of anybody going in and suing a Muslim bakery. You know, Crash, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, what I'm trying to get back to is what uh, what persecution is. Because you, sometimes you hear people say, I'm being persecuted because my car won't start. Mm. And and uh, really. And so when I'm listening to you guys, I'm hearing, wasn't that the persecution in biblical times was always something to do with why they had to persecute uh Jesus, because uh, he, they were trying to say he was trying to overthrow the uh, Roman government. Uh, well, some of the Jews wanted him to overthrow the Roman government. Jesus, were... Jesus said to Paul, right. why do you persecute me? Right. So, I mean, I'm, well, I'm trying to get to that word of persecution okay, so we let's, can say it has begun or it hasn't. Here's the level. And Let's yes. clarify a little bit. If my car doesn't start today, that's not persecution. <clears throat> That's not the devil. It's not the devil. <laughs> it's maybe that I haven't changed. You know people do that. Yeah. But what persecution is, 
is wrongfully imprisoning, torturing, or killing people because of their religious beliefs. So it is a third party who is wrongfully persecuting, imprisoning, or killing somebody for their religious belief. What we have in America right now is not persecution, but we have entered the stage of discrimination, where Christians are marginalized in public, uh, where perhaps they can't get jobs because they're Christians. Uh, Maybe they're treated less well, if that's a word, than other people are. So we're not in the persecution stage yet. We are in the discrimination stage. And and I want to go to my my recent book, American Christianity Slide into Apostasy, because as I mentioned in the opening, I think the church in America, sadly, unknowingly, is welcoming this coming persecution. And I want to go over the five steps of Christian persecution in America, and we want to take some time to go through those. The first step I identify is that the enemy will create doubt about truth. So the first part of getting Christians persecuted in America is to get Christians so preoccupied with pursuing the things of this life, money, social media, entertainment, that they don't have time for serious study of God's Word. Now, this forces them to trust in those who claim to understand God's Word because of a seminary degree or the title of pastor or preacher. But because we become lazy in our reading and understanding of the Bible, we can easily be be deceived by an eloquent speaker or a leader with a title. Increasing ignorance of God's Word leads to a redefining of God. So we value money as our true God. Uh, The Bible becomes all about what God can do for us instead of a call to holy living. So step one, and we see it in virtually every denomination of Christianity, people are asking exactly what Pilate asked of Jesus. What is truth? And of course, David, the Bible gives us the answer to what truth is. Jesus Christ is truth. Amen. So we, go ahead, David. Well, I can think of a couple different scriptures that will fit right in nicely with what we're talking about. And we need to look at what was specifically uh, Jesus' words to the seven churches uh, in Asia Minor at that time, Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Let's just go to Revelation 3, for example, and just read a, a couple different verses. This is to believers now, the church at that time, and you can take this as words to America, because if you didn't know any better, you would think these are words to America. Uh, Revelation 3, uh, verse 1 I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I come to you. And then down in verse 15 to the church of Laodicea. I consider this the United States of Laodicea, as you've heard me refer to that many times, or the United States of Entertainment. Um, Verse 15, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And that is to a very um, independent church, a very uh, well-off church, prosperous church, and unfortunately, spiritually now, very lukewarm 
church. And mm-hmm. that is what is opening the door wide in America for persecution. Yeah. I want to use an example right now of how we go from postmodern thought to post-truth thought. Crash, <clears throat> what color is Dave's shirt? Purple. I think it's green. It's gotten, it, well, green. Wow, what are yeah. you doing? It does, it's green. It's got a couple different colors, but green is not one of them. For those of you keeping score at home, we don't have the webcam on I today. see more purple. Oh. Well, okay, can we just get this down to the lowest common denominator? Yeah, can he's we, wearing a shirt. Can, can we believe David's wearing a shirt? Yeah, yeah. Okay, there we go. <laughs> That's what's happening, because step two of this is softening the church's resistance to the world by preaching unity and tolerance for anything. So postmodern thought is, you think David's shirt is purple, I say it's green. Well, let's just agree he's wearing a shirt. But now we get into post-truth. David says, I'm not wearing a shirt. Well, yes, he is, right? But in David's mind, he doesn't believe he's wearing a shirt. So is that truth? And this is what's happened in the church. So We've taken these arguments on Calvinism, Arminianism, the gospel. Uh, pre, Once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. Pre, mid, post. And we kind of went, hey, look, Jesus wants us to be unified. Can we just boil this down to the very simplest of elements? Can we believe that God exists? <clears throat> yeah, we can all agree on that. So we've taken basic, important doctrines of the scripture, and we've sanded them down because we value unity over truth. So that's how the church starts to get itself set up here all of a sudden. We are no longer unified on truth. We are unified on loving one another, even if truth is absent. I've got a great quote that goes right along with this, and many, many more quotes we could you know, talk about truth. But Charles Spurgeon said, to pursue union, we're talking about unity, right? We've talked about this before, how the Christian left and I guess they call us the Christian right because we're conservative and believe the Bible is inerrant. To pursue union at the expense of truth is treason to the Lord Jesus. That's Spurgeon. Now, what does he mean by that? There are some professing Christians, they say they want unity. We've talked about this many, many times on this program, but what they want is uniformity, uh, social justice of some kind. Uh, They insist Christian conservatives, uh, disciples of Christ, the fundamental, the traditional Christians, uh, we conform, not unity. You're not. They want uniformity. They want us to conform mm-hmm. to some liberal ideology. It might be same-sex marriage. It might be uh, feeding the poor above all other things, including abortion, which is not an issue to them, as big of an issue. So that's what they want. So I love this quote by Spurgeon, the, to pursue union at the expense of truth is treason to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's so true, and, and to your point, you know, David, I think all of us, whether people are progressive Christians or, or conservative Christians, we could all agree that we should help the poor, right? Absolutely. We should all help the poor. So let's make that the gospel. Let's unify around that. Let's make helping the poor the gospel. That's what's happening. And before we go to break, so important when you understand there are two types of unity talked about in the Bible. The first is biblical unity, unity with God, being one with God, John chapter 17. The human version of unity is the Tower of Babel. Let's all get together regardless of our beliefs and and unify. But understand in John 17, Jesus said, may they be one with you, Father, as I am one with you. He doesn't say maybe may they be one together. May they be one as you and I are one. So unity without truth is the Tower of Babel. Unity based on truth is biblical 
Christianity. When we come back, we look at step three of how the church is inviting persecution. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, back to Mike LeMay. Right now, we're talking about what I call the what's. What are the things the church is doing to invite persecution? And when we're done with this segment, uh, we're going to talk about how that comes about. So, so far, we've talked about creating doubt about the truth, and that is rampant in our churches. Crash, how many times have you read Scripture to someone and they said, well, that's your interpretation. Yes. That, that's a big argument we have these days. There can only be one correct interpretation, what God means it to say. But we seem to think we can have 35 different interpretations of the same scripture and they can all be right. But I'm talking about, if are you saying like just quoting scripture? Right. And people say, well, that's your interpretation. No, that's no, what God okay. said. And then I do this. Okay, you, you're right. You read it. <laughs> That's what I do. I said, you're right. You got me there. You read it. So step one, creating doubt about truth. Step two is preaching the need for unity and tolerance in the church and attack anyone who disagrees. And these come from my book, American Christianity's Slide into Apostasy. If you want a challenging and I think uplifting reading, go to Amazon.com. Step three, mock, intimidate, and threaten Christians into silence and acceptance of the secular agenda. Do you remember in 2012, David and Crash, when Barack Obama cited backwards people who cling to their Bibles and guns? Uh, How about in 2016 when Hillary Clinton said half of the people who supported Donald Trump are deplorables? Remember that one? Well, Joe Biden, preparing to run for president uh, next year, recently referred to people who disagree with the LGBTQ movement as dregs of society. So we are now backwards deplorable dregs of society because we believe the Bible is true. And we're following this story in California. The state of California is very close to passing legislation that would ban the sale of the Bible. So in other words, Mm -hmm. if you use a book that says, look, you can come out of a homosexual lifestyle or the sad confusion of transgenderism, that book is not allowed to be sold or used to teach in California. They're they're on the verge of passing that. And a new article, which I believe we posted at Stand Up For The Truth's Facebook page a couple days ago from Amazon, Amazon.com. They actually banned books. You heard me right. What kind of books? Christian authors who were talking about being converted to Christ or books that were talking about counseling someone in the LGBTQ movement or someone that identifies as one of those, um, counseling them is you can't do that. You, you can't tell them that their lifestyle is wrong or that they can, they, they can overcome it by turning away. So these books were banned. I think it was three days ago. There's an article on Amazon. So it's not just California is just one state that seems to you know, kind of lead the nation. Unfortunately, what's, what happens in California doesn't stay in California. But this is, Amazon is a pretty big oh. corporation. They're a, they're a monster. And if they're banning or censoring Christian authors or books that are really able to help people struggling with these lifestyles, then we're in trouble because it's just going to get worse. When I think of how powerful Amazon is, I think of something Karl Marx said about communism. We must control the method 
and distribution of education and of distribution. So we must control what people purchase, what they read, and here we go. So this step three is you can expect public resistance and paying a price if you express your religious beliefs. And this sets us up, guys, for step four. And this is what De Pere tried to do to us. Restrict the church's sphere of influence to its own four walls. And they do that by reframing freedom of religious expression into freedom of worship. The First Amendment of the Constitution says Congress shall make no law enforcing a religion, nor shall it pass any law infringing upon the free belief and expression of religion. That is called freedom of religious expression. What do we hear these days? Freedom of worship. Crash, you can go to your church in Appleton. David, you can go to your church in Appleton. Mike, you can go to your church in Swamico. You can say whatever you want to say in that Kakana. church. Or Kakana. But don't you dare talk about it in public, and that's exactly what's happening. Well, it's fascinating. Uh, you just reminded me, I think it was Friday, um, got a phone call later in the afternoon. I just happened to be here, and somebody tried to uh, get me to answer some questions about the uh, lawsuit. I didn't know what it was. They huh. were claiming it to be a uh, class project. So I said, sure, I can help you. And she's, she asked the question about a public, what is it, what is it? Uh, what was Public the, place of accommodation. Right. And I went, okay, you need to talk to uh, Mike LeMay, one of our board, dire- board of directors. She says, well, the project is due today. Huh. And I went, well, then you're out of luck. <laughs> and uh, so I thought uh, – I, it's not quite gone away. I think uh, there's something going on back it's probably here. Probably someone from St. Norbert's. No, I. Uh, I don't. It, it's actually become quite a case study of law. It, it's fascinating to me to see how many times <clears throat> this decision, which praise God went in our favor, is being used. And you have to understand again that uh, law is set on one of the foundations of law is precedence. What is one court rule? So it's going to be interesting to see here. But in essence. Um, we're going to get into step five here in a minute. And what DePierre tried to do to us was bridge from step four to step five. DePierre's ordinance would have identified this radio station and our churches as places of public accommodation. And according to case law, if you are a place of public accommodation, you cannot discriminate based on race, sex, color, creed, and those type of things. Um, what DePierre tried to do to us was say you must hire people who disagree with what you believe. You must perform services for people whom disagree with the Bible. You must promote events mm-hmm. for people and organizations that disagree with the Bible. Now, churches and private organizations have the right to do that if they want. We can get on the air today and, and do anything we want to do, but to force us to speak out against the Bible is what DePier tried to do. So that's really where the whole place of public versus private place of accommodation comes into play. Just just the slow desensitizing. Yeah, yeah. So the moment you identify a church or a nonprofit organization as one of public accommodation, it then comes under all the rules and laws of the United States and local governments. And once step four is accomplished when churches are pushed back into their holy huddles, right? And David, you articulate this very, very well, that the left will say, well, look, all we want is X. But 
once they get X, then they want Y and they want Z, right? This goes back to the probably 1970s when there was some normalization of homosexuality beginning. Actually, it was already ta- it had taken root, and now it's coming to the public eye. How? Well, in our schools, academia and Hollywood, they started uh, gay characters on programs, television programs. One of the first, if you remember, we're dating ourselves here. There's, there was a nighttime show called Soap, and Billy Crystal played Correct. a gay character. Very likable. Everybody thought he was, you know, you're either. An and li- they made fun of him. I, yeah, they did. One they of the, made the dad, fun of him. The dad did, yep. So you're either the victim, the hero, or extremely likable as a gay or lesbian character on television. Rarely, and I'm talking 99% of the time, it's that way. Maybe 1% of the time there might be a, a gay or lesbian character that does something bad, a bad person, but typically they're not portrayed that way. That started in the 1970s. So their, their argument when someone concerned Christians at the time started saying, wait a minute, we don't want this. We don't want this. We don't believe in this lifestyle. We, for Christians, we would say the Bible teaches this is sin. We don't want you know, you going so public with this. They would say, well, we, all we want— is to live and let live. Yeah. Fast forward now to 2019, and some of the laws that have been passed, some Christians that have been sued, losing their business, some losing their homes, their livelihoods, the Supreme Court cases, what's happening in the public schools, and media, Hollywood, is all the LGBTQ movement, is all they want to do is live and let live? Is that all? No. We know clearly now, hindsight, the answer is no, but we were duped. We give them the benefit of the doubt. We believe it. They just want a little bit, a little bit of freedom, a little bit of exposure, but look where we're at today. Yeah, it goes from, hey, just leave us alone. We did that. To accept us for who we are, we're doing that, to enforcement. So it goes from leave us alone to just accept us, to now you must believe what we believe, you must do what we do. And that's that phase we're in right now. So no longer are we allowed to express our opinions on sinful issues. Uh, Enforcement is taking place where if you even talk against these things, look out. There's a step, even before enforcement, there's a step, and they've used words brilliantly and redefined meanings of certain words. Uh, Inclusion, diversity, tolerance, the big one, equality. Mm. There's a step before enforcement. You've got to pass this Equality Act. Now, we'll talk about that possibly in the next segment. Yeah. Um, th- there's, there's steps that they have taken very systematically. I do want to emphasize now that may, they may be, this may be obvious to most of you, but there are a lot of wonderful people that are gay, lesbian, transgender, um, they are going about their business. They are living privately at home. They do not agree with the loud and proud activists. They will not per- parade nakedly in front of children down public streets in America that have pride parades. They don't agree with that. They don't agree with suing Christians. They don't agree with pushing this on TV and in public schools. But they do not have the power. They do not have the corporate the corporate funding. They don't have the massive lobbying behind them. But they so they. Kind of their arms are tied in a way. Well, and they're being bullied. Some of them, yeah. They, if, being, if they speak out and disagree yeah. with the methods 
yeah, of the of activists. The yeah, the hows. They're, yeah. they're being bullied. So that step five, once you've got the church on his heels and in its own little private enclave and not speaking in public, then you get full-blown persecution because of the danger of biblical Christianity <clears throat> to government or to society. Hate speech laws, hate thought laws. Hey, you said you believe this. So therefore, that must mean this. So you're a danger, and we need to shut you up or throw you in jail. Yeah, do you really think that? (laughs) So we can't even believe God's word anymore? Oh, my goodness. You know, our good friend John Leffler of Steel on Steel Radio was listening this morning. Hi, John. uh, John, how you doing, brother? (laughs) Shout Um, out. uh, He identifies now. So we talked about what this looks like and how it's been, or the stages of implementation. John says, now, once they are in power— Here's the five steps they come up with, and these are brilliant. You identify the target group, Christians. You marginalize them in media and academia. Happens all the time. Check. Check. Number three, you vilify the group when they can no longer defend itself. Check. Check. Number four, you pass laws against the group. Check. Check. (laughs) Now we're waiting for stage five. Enforce those laws. Enforce those laws. The laws are in place. It's just a matter of enforcing those laws. Now, why aren't they being forced to date? Public opinion is still fairly split on these issues, but it's trending the wrong way. It's trending the wrong way. Uh, there are fewer born-again believers percentage-wise in this nation than ever. Um, Ten years ago, 90% of Christians disagreed with homosexual marriage. <coughs> Excuse me. Now 61% agree with it. Transgenderism wasn't even on the roadmap 10 years ago. Yet it was part of the LGBT. Yeah. Now more than half of professing Christians agree that gender is fluid. So as public opinion moves, all of a sudden there's going to be a cry to enforce these laws. When could that happen? It could happen tomorrow. It could happen five years from now. But we're getting very, very close. Can we just talk about that one point briefly? Aside from science, biology, our chromosomes, DNA, that gender is fluid. But if you're a Christian, God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he said, my word will never change. And so if there are some fixed standards, if there is an authority of, for truth that we can go to, and shouldn't we believe that as Christians? That's how powerful this and seductive this movement is. They're well, getting people to change their minds. Oh, okay, I understand. I guess maybe gender can, if you feel that way. I guess, yeah, I understand. It's an emotional thing. So they're not basing their changing their mind on truth or the facts. It's on emotion. It's on loving someone, which we love all people. We just want them to come to the truth, as the Bible says. Uh, I'm going to tell you guys, I'm really annoyed at this. these adjectives. What? When, when I'm hearing progressive Christianity, that's you just said that. Christianity can't progress. The Bible it's is the changing. same. Yeah. And, I, and when, 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 I'm sorry, but when I hear... People say, let's talk about progressive Christianity. I'm going like, there is no such thing as progressive. Don't say progressive. And and, and and we as talk show people are using those definitions, and there is no progressive any more than there's a social justice. Yeah, And And justice is justice. If we can come up up with a better word, we'll do it. But before we go to break, here's the thing now. You look, the NIV has come out with a gender-neutral Bible, and many of them have. So 
God uniquely made man in his image, male, female, he created them. Now God's gender is coming into question. Well, we better get rid of that word father. Think of what Elijah Abraham talks about, how that word father to Muslims is very offensive. So let's get rid of father and son and just call them. Well, there's that, but they're also trying to redefine father. Right. A father father doesn't have to be a, a male. So when we get the identity of God wrong. What? Yes, that's what they're doing. When we get the identity of God wrong, and God created man in God's image, then we get the identity of man wrong. So those are your five steps. The church right now is seems to be powerless or unwilling to stand up against this. Um, again, the question, and we can talk about this a little bit after the break, should we fight it? Or is this God's plan to kind of winnow away the, the wheat from the chaff? I'm not sure the question is should we? I think the question is how. How? How can and we? And what do fight we do this? if we lose? How, how can we fight this? Yeah. Well, we're we're doing God's work. It's it, He wins. Truth wins. Amen. In the Amen. end. Amen. Yeah. What we do is sometimes irrelevant. But if we are obeying Him and trying to be salt and light, standing for truth, proclaiming and defending the truth of the gospel, whether you interpret that as us winning because people aren't coming to Christ or people aren't receiving the message, we don't know. Seeds are planted, seeds are watered. But I do want to say one thing. It's also denominations that are changing because this came out within the last couple of days. The U.S., United States Episcopal, Episcopal Diocese, voted to stop using masculine pronouns for God. I don't know mm-hmm. if you saw that story. Mm-hmm. It's brand new. So we'll put that on standupforthetruth.com uh, as well. So th- these are denominations now no longer using masculine pronouns for God. As you said, the NIV, the new one. I've got one from the 1980s, which is is pretty good. I don't use it as much as my other versions, NASB and ESV and, and New King James. But the new NIV and others are are totally changing with the times, almost like the like gender changes. You know exactly. <laughs> so the first volley in this battle was fired by Congress a couple of months ago when the House of Representatives uh, passed the Equality Act along party lines. When we come back how the Equality Act would actually broaden inequality. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, back to Mike LeMay. Is the Equality Act really about equality? Now, it was passed in the United States House of Representatives, basically along party lines, and we're going to look at the frequently asked questions about this so-called Equality Act. It would amend two landmark civil rights laws, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Fair Housing Act, to change the definition of sex. Instead of the term being solely in reference to biological men and women, it would also cover sexual orientation, in other words, gay or straight, or gender identity for the purposes of employment, housing, jury service, education, federal programs, and public accommodations. That is the key we're going we're gonna to focus in on here in a little bit. Now, according to the bill, the term sexual orientation means homosexuality, heterosexuality, bisexuality and gender identity so whatever a person whatever gender they believe they are even if they believe they're fluid uh, this bill would affect that it basically voids the 1993 religious freedom restoration act passed by the republican congress and signed by bill clinton now who supports it it's actually david embedded in the language of the democratic party platform they make no secret about it um that uh and 
in the House, it had 240 co-sponsors. Now, it's passed the House. It's currently kind of wallowing over in the Senate. Now, the Senate right now, I believe, is 53-47 in control of Republicans, roughly. The bill currently has 56, or 46 co-sponsors in the Senate. So it has 46 of the 51 votes necessary to pass. Now, 45 of them are Democrats. One is a Republican, and, of course, her name is Susan Collins of Maine. But look at the heavyweights, David, that are lining up to support the Equality Act. Amazon, Apple, AT&T, Coca-Cola, eBay, Facebook, Google, Johnson & Johnson, Microsoft, Pepsi, UPS, Verizon, and Wells Fargo. You You've got some heavyweights on there. These are members of the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Averages, and these are companies that economically can bring a lot of pressure to bear. These are more concerning almost than uh, individuals who support this because that means if they endorse this bill, let's just look at, we already mentioned Amazon, um, AT&T, Facebook. Let's just look at those Microsoft Facebook, they're already censoring Christian and conservative content, meaning when I say conservative in this case, when they're talking about the Equality Act, meaning someone that's simply saying, um, you know, you cannot be, uh, you, you're either a man or a woman. Like I mean, someone who's simply looking at it from a scientific standpoint, not a Christian standpoint necessarily, but these are people that are already censored. Freedom Project has been censored for three days now. And that's a company, an organization I work for part-time, and I'm a contributor there. Because Dr. Duke, on the Dr. Duke show, he did a story about, and they titled it, a man, um, female athlete, star female athlete loses to two males because they were transgender. Two transgender boys beat this female in women's and women's sport. And so the title of it flagged up Facebook and they shut down for all practical purposes. They shut down their Facebook page. They've got over a hundred thousand people like their Facebook page. The freedom project is not alone. There's a lot of Christians um, and conservative organizations. Dennis Prager, Prager university. He's been censored big time. There's a lot. So when I'm looking at this list that would that already have endorsed this Equality Act, and it should be concerning to the average American that believes in freedom of speech and freedom of religious expression, let alone Christians that should be able to talk about our faith and share the gospel. Now, there are several cases in front of the United States Supreme Court now about religious freedom, and the, the court has agreed to take them on. I found this comment to be quite interesting. This comes from a gentleman by the name of Drew Hamill, who is a spokesperson for Nancy Pelosi. Uh. And, and he was asked, okay, look, um, the court is already looking at some of these. Is this legislation put out there to impact the Supreme Court? And he said, oh, no, no, no. He said, listen, the decision to hear those cases will have no impact on the legislative process for the Equality Act. But then he said this, quote, I would just make the point that House passage sends a strong message to the Supreme Court of the United States. 
It's kind of so, that's like kind of announcing in advance. Announcing hey, in advance. Hey, Scotus, this is coming. This is coming. Don't you dare oppose it. Now, what are concerns Christians should have about this? This is from Andrew Walker, uh, writing at the Gospel Coalition. He says this bill represents the most invasive threat to religious liberty ever proposed in America. Mm. Given that it touches areas of education, public accommodation, employment, and federal funding, were it to pass its sweeping effects on religious liberty, free speech, and freedom of conscience, would be both historic and chilling. He says virtually no area of American life would emerge unscathed from the Equality Act's reach. Wow. I just want to get Crash's take on this as the only one in the room that's got a son that is uh, um, in public education. Um, what What is your concern about this? Because it, it will affect practically every aspect of society. And Simple. We're shopping um, to get him out. It, I don't know if that answers your question, but uh, we've always been uh, one of these uh, strong apologist type family where we're, you know, come home and talk about what's going on and any concerns we've always brought him to the leadership at, at, at his schools and stuff like that. We've had conversations with him and stuff like that. But um, he just doesn't want to be in, in, in those environments. He's going into the seventh grade, so we're looking into homeschooling. That's very interesting. That's very mature. I don't, I don't know. Uh, of Patrick. It, we wanted it to be his decision. And that's, um, that's amazing because usually the parents make that decision, and the kids resist it because of their friends, peers, and acceptance and approval of your friends is so important. As we've, we were all young once, we wanted the approval of our friends more than our parents, more than God. And so it's, it tells a lot about your son's maturity as a Christian and understanding and discerning this coming against him, uh, the opposition in the public schools that he would say, you know what, uh, can we look at homeschooling? <laughs> and, and he's been seeing these conversations and, uh, you know, the church and, and Q90FM and, and uh, Katie and I as parents have, have you know, we've obviously... And also, uh, he's had conversations with, uh, like, Dave Wager and stuff, because Dave used to be a fifth-grade teacher and stuff like that. I just get, – here's information. You you know, we, we're, we're going to decide as parents, but we uh, it, it'd be a lot better if we had his buy-in on it, you know, as it were. But um, obviously, we're, we're, we're homeschool shopping. Uh, Good. So yeah. – uh, but uh, we're going back to the, to the persecution thing is uh, – I, I keep going, like, how do we uh, – how do we fight this? Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, how do we fight this? And you got your books, uh, Mike, on apostasy and those kind of truths. And then, my, and then David's got his about the, the cost of silence because <sighs> you got to stop sharing the gospel. That's okay. I'm not sharing it anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not. I, I mean, I'm not sharing ex- that. And, and I'm not talking about me, but I'm talking about on that. It's the American church. What you yeah, just described, I mean, I mean uh, anyway. you, you got to stop sharing your gospel. Well, I don't, I can't at work anyway. I well, mean, I they won't let me at work, so I, I, you know, I, I don't walk, I'm not one of those open-air preachers, and I mean, uh, earlier you were talking about something that's not here in America, but aren't they, I mean, aren't they trying to get these open-air preachers like in California arrested, or, Absolutely. or, or was it uh, California sev- or Canada, I can't remember. Canada but. and California, several have been arrested. So again, it goes back. Arrested. To, yeah. It goes back to that mentality of, hey, preach it in the church if you want, Keep it behind but, don't, but yeah. don't preach it in public. But with what DePere tried to do and what the Equality Act wants to do is basically say you can't even preach it in the church anymore. I think we fight it. Uh, the problem, and I was talking to a Christian brother of mine yesterday, the problem is we're, 
we're going to a uh, a street alley fight where the enemy has guns and switchblades, and we have truth, and we have love, and we have grace. We're overmatched, but we have a two-edged standards. sword. Yeah, but I mean, let's face it, we're <laughs> we're overmatched by the world standards. So we yeah. fight, like Paul said, our our, our fight is not against mm-hmm. flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. I think we stand up, we vote appropriately, we make our our uh, opinion be known, but then we also prepare. And, you know, Jesus gave us some very chilling words. He said, you know, father is going to turn against son, mother against daughter, uh, in-laws will turn against mm-hmm. you. Uh, people, Sell your cloak. Yeah. So they, people will put you to death and think they're doing God's will. But then he said, you know, don't worry, because at the time the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. Then he goes on to say, and anyone who remains faithful to me to the end, God will be faithful. Mm-hmm. But if you deny Jesus, he'll deny you. So I think we fight for our rights, but we better also start preparing for the day when that proverbial gun is at our heads and we're being told you either deny Christ or you die. And we better be praying that the Holy Spirit is in us and gives us the right words because as Jesus said in Luke 9, anyone who's ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed of him when I return. So the question is how do we fight this? And we can only go to Scripture. That's our authority. How did the disciples and apostles fight it? They said, we must obey God rather than men. In uh, Galatians 1.10, Paul says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. In Acts chapter 4, they called them, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, and charged the disciples not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. That's what we are going to be told in America. Don't say anything about sin, about Jesus, about your faith. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot help speak of what we have seen and heard. Amen. Let's finish with these verses from Matthew 10, starting in verse 26. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, see in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There's our marching orders. Interesting and we're, and we're not implying that it's easy. We're not implying that th- this won't take some serious prayer and consideration in that moment when you're faced with some sort of discrimination or persecution. We are saying that God is bigger, and we have his Holy Spirit in us, and he desires our obedience, and we want to honor him the best we can. So hopefully in those moments, we will be faithful. Yes, and Jesus wraps up that uh, chapter, if you will, saying, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Oops. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show and talk about tomorrow. We're getting ready to wrap up today's show. Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. Now, here's Mike LeMay. 
Tomorrow's Friday. We're going to read your comments. We're going to answer your questions. We're always going to point you to the Word of God as the only source of eternal truth. A lot of you already weighed in on our topic today of coming persecution. Uh, we're going to continue, I guess, talking about the argument that just will not die, Calvinism and Arminianism. And is the church in America suffering from a lack of self-identity? Have we lost our identity in Christ, and are we too busy trying to self-identify in the way of the world where we've really become a a lukewarm church, just like it talks about in the book of Revelation. So a lot of good questions coming in, and we'll get to as many of them as we can tomorrow. So uh, email us, comments at standupforthetruth.com, or text the word speak up to 90100. So be in prayer. The times, they are changing, but God never changes. So know him, love him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and trust in him that when the day comes, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak when we are asked to either deny Christ or deny this world. For Crash Connell and David Fiorazzo, Mike LeMay standing up for the truth. Be bold, be strong, and always unashamed of the gospel because the Lord your God is always with you.